It's 8.34, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. We start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. All right. I like Aaron Rodgers. I think he is arguably the greatest quarterback in professional football right now, um, Tom Brady notwithstanding. I think he's one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the history of the Green Bay Packers. I like him. I root for him. I think he's amazing. I like to see him succeed. At the same time, I don't need to be lectured by Aaron Rodgers on unity, diversity, or what to do during the national anthem. If you have not heard this, I mean, everybody knows there's this controversy, players kneeling during the national anthem. Now the latest thing is people stand up and they lock arms. So Aaron Rodgers comes out and they say, okay, we're going to do this before the Packers-Bears game tomorrow night at Lambeau. We are going to... All the players are going to stand on the sidelines, and they are going to lock arms. Why are they locking arms? Well, here's the statement. They want to portray unity. By locking arms, they say it will represent a coming together of players who want the same things that all of us do. Freedom, equality, tolerance, understanding, and justice for those who have been unjustly treated, discriminated against, or otherwise treated unfairly, the statement says. I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Does that mean they are calling for, I mean, is, is this is this like a statement in support of the Black Lives Matter movement that you may agree with or not agree with? I mean, is this a standard of, gee, if you don't support uh, same-sex marriage, you're intolerant? I mean, I, I have no idea. But they're going to stand up and they're going to link arms. One of the guys says, well, I knelt last week because I wanted to show support for what's going on in Puerto Rico. Now, the bottom line is I don't think anybody knows what these different protests mean and what these statements are supposed to be. But anyhow, all the players are going to link arms. Fine. They did this after a team meeting. Aaron Rodgers is now saying that he wants everybody um, who is at Lambeau tomorrow night to also link arms um, as a show of unity and love and starting a conversation around something that might be a little bit uncomfortable for players. All right, for for people. All right, with all due respect to the talented Mr. Rogers, my response would be, Mr. Rogers, just don't lecture me. Shut up and play football. If you and the players want to stand on the sidelines and you want to link arms, okay, go ahead, you know, link link arms. I prefer that to the disrespect that I believe is shown when you kneel during the national anthem, when someone kneels during the national anthem. So if you want to link arms, okay, I, I don't mind. Stand there during the national anthem. But I will say this. If I were at Lambeau Field tomorrow night, and I'm not going to be, I've got other things to do, but if I was at Lambeau Field tomorrow night, when they go to play the national anthem, I will. St- I would stand up. If I had a cap on, I would take the cap off. I would put it over my heart, and I would stand and I would look at the flag. I have no. I would. And again, I'm not going to be there. I would have no interest in linking arms with the people next to me in an effort of showing unity on issues that I have no idea what the unity is all about. Am I standing there as a show of, I don't know, that I I think we're intolerant because, well, some of us think that uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is predicated on falsehoods. I mean, what, what am I standing and showing unity for? Bottom line is, 
I'm going to stand for the national anthem. I'm going to skip the suggestion that we all link arms as a show of unity. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're at Lambeau Field tomorrow, are you going to follow the advice of Mr. Rogers? And when you are in his neighborhood, are you going to, do you think people should be linking arms to show unity and love and a call out for freedom and equality and tolerance and understanding and justice for those who have been unjustly treated, discriminated against, or otherwise treated unfairly? Or are you just going to stand there respectfully during the national anthem? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Our text line is exploding already. Hey, Aaron, I've got this crazy idea to show unity during the national anthem. We should stand, face the flag, put our hands over our hearts. I know. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, Jeff in Appleton says, I don't think you uh, lecture me, your lecture me statement applies to all celebrities 414-799-1620 um all right you want to you will you be following this instruction joe in milwaukee joe you're first good morning hi, hi um joe. good morning um i wouldn't be following this instruction personally um i actually agree with one of the uh, messages you just read off um right if, if you want to show respect and unity stand at a attention put your hand over your heart and listen to the national anthem that is how we show unity right uh, 100%. And um, to make it mean something different, you're really messing with the original point of the anthem in the first place. Um, there's so many different ways that they could be expressing what they're trying to express. And the issue I have really with the whole thing is what is the message? You actually right. take that this morning. Yeah, what, 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 what are they trying to say? I, I don't, I mean, I, I mean, I understand these platitudes, justice for those who have been unjustly treated. Okay, well, what, what does that mean? It, my, in my view, maybe it's victims of crimes that I think are unjustly treated. In somebody else's victim view, it's, okay, gee, Michael Bennett was, you know, uh, was stopped in Las Vegas when he was running from the police. What exactly is the message that we are trying to send? Yes, I, I have no, I, I have an issue with the, with the platform being used for protests. Um, if you're going to protest, like, I don't know, a business per se, wouldn't you protest that particular business? I mean, what does um, police law enforcement have to do with the national anthem? I, I, I am not able to draw that parallel right. whatsoever. Right. No, thanks for Okay, now here, here we have a text. Pardon me, but what is offensive about unity and love? What, nobody's saying it's offensive. Just saying, well, that's it's more than that. I think this is a compromise born of a genuine desire to stop the division and debate so we can move on. Well, <clears throat> all right. I, again, I think the way you show unity is you stand up and you stand at, at attention and you take your hat off and you put your hand over your heart or, and you listen to the, the national anthem as opposed to trying to say some political message. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's uh, talk to, let's see, we've got uh, Kathy in Hales Corners. Kathy, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I agree with all the people that are calling in, and I think that the national anthem should be, and the flag should be respected. I would stand with my hand over my heart, and I think that somebody from the Wounded Warriors Project should be collecting a quarter from all the people like you and me, and put it into helping the people mm -hmm. that gave the players the right to lock arms in the first place. Yep. 
Yeah, right. Instead of locking arms, um, we're going to pass a we're going to pass a plate. We're going to make it like church, and we're going to donate it to the Wounded Warriors Foundation. Yeah, exactly. That's the way that you can show unity. Um, no, thank. I think that's a I think that's a great idea as well. Let's see. Have an email, um, a text. We're going to the game tomorrow night. I will proudly stand and place my right hand over my big heart. Um, Let's see, Tom and Kuwaskum writes, Jeff, I will be at the game, and I will be standing with my hat off and my hand over my heart. We have two boys in the service and three nephews in the service, with two of them deployed at this time. My dad and my wife's dad were both in the Korean War, and I will not be linking arms, but rather honoring the flag, respectively. Yeah, I mean, what's, what is wrong with that? Now, you might say, um, well, you know, what, what, what is wrong with the message? Well... I, I don't know what the message is. We want to stand up for, you know, people who are treated unfairly. Well, okay, what, what exactly does, does that mean? Because my guess is, if you're trying to make this statement, maybe your idea of people being untreated fairly is different than the person who's sitting next to you. Um, Let's see. Um, when our national anthem is played, I get goosebumps, and sometimes I get watery eyes. Why? I think because of Francis Scott Key being held captive on the British ship and what he saw. Yeah, it goes on to the various history of that. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is entitled to his opinion. And Aaron Rodgers, if this is what the Packers have decided, that they want to stand and link arms, that's great. If you have tickets to the game and you are going to the game and you decide that you want to stand and Link arms with the people next to you. I, I, I'm not going to say that you're unpatriotic. I'm not going to criticize you for it. I am just saying I don't think I, I know I would not be doing that, and I suspect the majority of people will not be doing that. And my advice would be, rather than being lectured to by football players, maybe they should just concentrate on playing the game. Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, I was just calling. I wanted to say that, you know, the Green Bay Packers are owned by the people, not an owner. So, I mean, if that's not unity, I don't know what is. And I think what they're trying to do is just trying to back, no matter what the problem is, you know, you got to stand next to each other. Yeah, and again, and I understand. I mean, see, I guess I, I understand that this is, I think it is a compromise. I'll, I'll be curious to know if the three players that knelt um, whether they're now not going to kneel anymore, whether they're going to stand. But again, e- even among those players, I-, I don't know that there wasn't a unified message. The one guy, the tight end, um, the new tight end, Kendrick, he said, well, I-, I was kneeling to show my support for people in Puerto Rico. Okay, well, uh, all right. The other guy, Martellus Bennett, the new tight end, he's, I mean, you know, he's supporting his race-baiting brother, you know, Michael Bennett, who claims that he was, fal- who I believe falsely claims he was arrested in Las Vegas simply because he was a black man. I mean, it's, it, 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 again, it's it just kind of like all over the map. Bottom line is, kind of just play the game. And again, as we talked about yesterday, I think the NFL made it a lot worse on themselves by by not dealing with this when it was a minor issue. And it was an issue that had pretty much gone away. Handful of people protesting until President Trump decided to politicize this and interject himself in. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking a little bit later about this. If you read the commentators and you listen to the talking heads, the way this is portrayed is this is a huge victory, not the linking arms, but the attention to this issue. It's a huge victory for the players and for the NFL, and it's a huge loss for Donald Trump. 
I think you have to be on crack cocaine to read this issue that way. In any event, you can decide to do what you want to do if you are fortunate enough to go to see the Packers game. Um, if I were there, like I said, I, I wouldn't be linking arms, period. It's 845. Big thing number two is coming up. A gunfight breaks out on the freeway. It's 849. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October is down to five games, and the Brewers are hot on the heels of the Colorado Rockies. This evening, it's game two of the series with the Reds out at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff hit the air at 635 with our game day coverage on 620 WTMJ. Let me share with you two tweets, two um, two uh, texts that came in uh, just over the break that I, I think you know really kind of capsulize what I believe is is going on here. First of all, Justin sends a text, says, I wonder if this unity message that the players are coming out with is really to, intended to be a message of unity against Trump, um, but the athletes are too chicken to verbally express their true views. Because, again, we, we don't know exactly what this unity thing is all about, um, other than, you know, we're, we're going to kind of lock hands to call attention to these different things that, you know, we don't like. So one, so Justin suggests, is it unity against Trump? There's another email I got. This is from Chris. If I was at Lambeau Field, I would comply with Aaron Rodgers' request because I look at it as a unity to take a stand against Trump, who actually started this mess. If he wouldn't have used his SOB word against the NFL players, this would have never happened. I love the national anthem, and I would sing along, but I would stand in unity according to the Rodgers' request because, in the mind of Chris, he views this as a protest against President Trump, which... I think is not an unreasonable position. Now, Aaron Rodgers might say, well, we didn't actually say that. Um, but I, I think that's why when you have this, who knows exactly what it is unity for? And I think a lot of people, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people would see it as a message of, you know, we don't like the president, so we're standing in unity against him. So um, I, I don't know. It's what happens when you have these broad-based things. Like I say, if you really want to show unity as Americans, you stand during the national anthem, you take off your cap, you put your hand over your heart, and then from the perspective of the football players, you go out and you beat the Chicago Bears. I'm just saying. All right, big story number two. Monday afternoon, the freeway system was closed down for the better part of four hours right outside the Marquette Interchange. Traffic was an absolute and total mess. Why was the freeway slowed shut down? Because around 1.30 in the afternoon, a gun battle broke out between a couple of cars. Bullets struck two vehicles during a shooting on the Milwaukee County freeway system. A northbound vehicle and a southbound vehicle were struck when gunfire erupted shortly after 1.30 p.m. Um, according to the Journal Sentinel, witnesses said an occupant of one vehicle shot at another vehicle during the incident that then clogged streets. A dark red or maroon SUV and a dark red sedan were involved in the shootings. Investigators recovered 19 shell casings from the scene. So th- this th- this was like high noon, except it was one thirty. This is a major league gun battle. You don't have a situation where somebody drives by and fires a shot, which would be bad in and of itself. But that's not what happened. You had multiple, multiple shots fired, 19 different shots. So you have these two yahoos or groups of yahoos that are firing at each other on the freeway system. It is a miracle 
a miracle, once again, but for the grace of God, that nobody ends up getting killed in this particular situation. Um, and the Fox 6 story I was looking at says, it's just they got a witness saying, it's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Why does it have to go like this? Why does it have to get to the point where you cannot drive around the freeway um, in, in peace? Um, the acting sheriff, Richard Schmidt, he's I- incredibly frustrated, of course, by this as well. You know, he says, people, careless disregard for life. We've got to change the culture in Milwaukee County to where this type of nonsense has to stop. The nonsense being, I don't know, two people driving down the freeway in cars and firing shots at each other at 1.30 in the afternoon. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, On the one hand, I don't disagree with the acting sheriff that this is... This is all about, in many respects, it is about the culture. It is about the disrespect for life that exists when you have people who just decide for whatever reasons. And my guess is this is not going to turn out to be road rage. My guess is this is going to be is two rival gangs or people with issues with each other who just decide that they're going to, I mean, exchange gunfire. That's what I think it, what this is. But, I mean, I guess it could just be road rage with two people driving around with guns. But that doesn't make sense. Sites to me this is probably a bunch of gangbangers out on the freeway shooting at each other. The problem, of course, is this is 1.30 in the afternoon on the freeway, and there's lots of other people that are around as well. I agree with the sheriff that there is a need to change the culture. But at the same time, until we change the culture, however you do that, and in my opinion, changing the culture means taking a lot of these criminals and locking them up and putting them away for a long period of time. Until we change the culture, the real question is, Is there anywhere around here that is safe? Already, we have people who will not drive on certain streets in the city of Milwaukee, even in broad daylight, because they are worried about being victims of carjacking or being shot at or just the random violence that exists. And that is a problem which is spread. So now you have it, at least apparently, unsafe to go out on the freeway because of these rolling gun battles. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to believe that this type of stuff is making a lot of us rethink Number one, our living choices, and number two, certainly rethink where we are going to travel throughout Milwaukee County. And if we accept the premise that there's a lot of streets that are unsafe, now if the freeway is in fact going to be unsafe from these rolling gun battles, all right, is is this going to, unless they can figure out a way to get a handle on it, is this going to doom Milwaukee County? I mean, is this... Is this going to be the start of a death spiral as more and more people avoid avoid Milwaukee County, avoid downtown Milwaukee because of violence? And is it changing the way you travel? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 909. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in about a half hour, a, a listener, a mom, who's got a kid in the Franklin School District, reached out to me uh, about a book that is assigned reading for freshmen in their English classes. And it's a very interesting 
book, and the mom has some concerns. She reached out to the school, and I, I've seen the school's response, which candidly, I have no idea what it means. But we're going to talk about this. Um, if you want to get a head start on it, you follow me on Twitter. Um, I, I did send out a link to this particular book, including, because I'm trying to be open-minded, a, a link that uh, to the New York Times when they reviewed this book. I figured, well, okay, so let's see what the left-leaning New York Times has to say. We're going to be talking about that in about 25 minutes. A lady down in Franklin who, like I say, was a little bit troubled by what they are requiring kids to read. So stick around. Right now we're talking about this shootout that broke out on the Milwaukee County Freeway on Monday. If you haven't heard, about one thirty in the afternoon, two cars got into a shootout while, while traveling on the freeway. They found 19 bullet casings. A couple cars were hit. The freeway was closed down for four hours. I do not believe there have been any arrests made. It is not uncommon for certain certain streets in uh, Milwaukee to be viewed as being unsafe. I guess the question is now, is that extending to the freeway? Let's start with Peggy and Franklin. Peggy, you're first. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm disappointed that they're painting such a wide brush of Milwaukee County. Um, I live in Franklin, Wisconsin, which is in Milwaukee County, and I can guarantee you I'm not driving around shooting up people. Um, I have friends in Wauwatosa. I have friends in Shorewood also Milwaukee County, and I can about guarantee they're not shooting up people either. This is really a city of Milwaukee problem that unfortunately is spilling out um, to the neighboring communities. So I really believe it should be the city of Milwaukee taking ownership of the fact that they're not curtailing the violent crime. Um, so the idea would be Milwaukee might be dangerous, but don't say that that's the case in Franklin or in Greenfield or in something like that. Absolutely, and, and even the violent crime that does occasionally occur in those areas, it's people coming from Milwaukee. Right. How about this kind of, does it bother you that you've now got shootouts at one thirty in the afternoon on a Monday on the freeway? Of course it does. Yeah. Of course it does. Um, you know, I have you know, kids in college that drive, and, and, you know, my mother lives in Wauwatosa, um, not all that far from a bad area, and I fear for her. Yeah. You know, at one thirty in the afternoon, she's, you know, out driving home from bridge. Right. Is she going to get shot up? You know. Well, and that is, of course, the concern because lots of people, I mean, the freeway is the go-to route for a lot of people who won't drive across the city of Milwaukee now on certain streets, including many of the east-west thoroughfares that we used to use for years. And now if you've got these gun battles that are springing out, and I, I simply, you know, i got to tell you something, Peggy, I sympathize with the acting sheriff. He's like, we, we've got to change this culture. I mean, because he's, I think, incredibly frustrated as well. I just don't know what you do to change the culture. I think what you end up doing is... Is probably just having to warehouse a generation of, of would-be gangsters who don't understand that you can't pull out guns and start shooting up shooting up cars on the freeway. Right. Yeah. But I think what what um, what I was thinking when you first read the story is it's a Milwaukee County problem. No, it's not a Milwaukee problem. County problem. That's painting too wide of a paintbrush. It's a it's a problem that relates to the city that spreads to the county from time to time. No, and I think that that is a fair point to an extent. But as we've seen and we talk about on a regular basis, the the problem is not confined to the city of Milwaukee. You have example after example after example of of violence, repeat criminals who are 
from the city of Milwaukee, but are spreading out not just uh, to commit crimes, not just throughout Milwaukee County, but also, you know, throughout, you know, some of the neighboring counties. I mean, you have the story out of, you know, uh, West Bend a couple weeks ago where you have the guy who goes up and, and beats up the woman outside the Piggly Wiggly store. I mean, you've got one story after another, and that is why... I think when we talk about crime, I understand that sometimes there's this this thought that oh, I'm just going to brush this off. This is a city problem. This is Tom Barrett's problem. You know, if I don't stay, if I don't go anywhere near the high crime areas of the city of Milwaukee, nothing's going to happen. Well, that's not the case because the crime is following you. I mean, out in Brookfield, I mean, they're, they're telling people, okay, you've got to lock your doors. They've had huge problems with, for example, auto thefts all over the area. And in some cases, they're local thieves, but in a lot of cases, again, it's criminals from Milwaukee who are deciding to go out to the suburbs and treat those areas as targets of opportunity. Now, the one difference is that if you are a criminal who goes out and commits a lot of these crimes in the suburbs, particularly outside of Milwaukee County, the once you get into the court system, the judges in Ozaukee County and Washington County and Waukesha County have a lot less tolerance for the multiple repeat offenders than happens in Milwaukee County. And I think sometimes people are in for a rude awakening. Jennifer in Milwaukee. Jennifer, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. Um, I- I live in downtown Milwaukee, and um, I have to go in to And it's interesting because I grew up in a really small and remote tiny town, and I always heard about these horrible things about Milwaukee and how it was all violent and mm-hmm. scared to death to drive anywhere and all that kind of stuff, like what you just um, described earlier in your program. And I've, I've lived here for the last two years, and I've never, um, I've never not like felt safe. I've I walk around Eastside, I'm along Brady, I hang out in Walker's Point, mm-hmm. um, I'm in the Fifth Ward, I drive through, like, really bad areas. <laughs> I was just hanging out um, for work um, over in a, in a large, um, in an area on Roberts and 30th, um, and, I, and people there were super nice, and I've never felt um, unsafe or in danger. I park my car on the street every single night. It's never been vandalized. It's never been broken into. Um, I'll go down Leap Street uh, probably four times a week, and um, and there's a place that I go to that's in, like, the 40th Street range, which isn't exactly the, the nicest area in Milwaukee. Never have I ever felt unsafe. Nothing has ever happened. Um, so I don't mean to minimize the crime that's happening in Milwaukee because there's definitely some crime. Um, but I think that people tend to, like, over-exaggerate it and then create this yeah. mindset of fear. Well, well, well Jennifer, I'm going to say that. First of all, I, I, I'm, I'm legitimately and genuinely glad that you have, you know, been here for the last couple of years and, and not been a crime victim, and, and I mean that sincerely. I will tell you, as somebody who's lived here almost my entire life, that, that the, the, the type of, of violent crimes, the number of car thefts, the number of carjackings, the number of homicides, the number of, of shootings – is just completely and totally off the charts. And even statistically, it's gotten a lot worse over the last few years. So I I guess, I mean, you know, years ago, you could have, for example, 
started your car in the driveway when it was cold, let it warm up. Now the police are rightfully saying you, you can't do that because if you leave your car unattended in your driveway running, unlocked for a couple minutes, it, it's going to be gone. So I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you like Milwaukee and I'm glad you feel safe and I certainly hope that continues. But I have to tell you, I don't think this is media hysteria. I think this is lots and lots of people who have been victimized over and over again all throughout the city who have just had enough is enough and and candidly i just i i don't think i don't think the media over hypes it i actually think if anything a lot of the stuff that goes on is underreported um well for, i mean so my experience is not unique either i mean i have a lot of colleagues who've worked here for years and decades and they've never been they've never experienced crime either so i guess like i'll give you an example when everything happened over in sherman mm-hmm. um, last year yep and you turned on the news, and it was like, it was like the city of Milwaukee was burning, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I didn't even know that it happened, and I and I was there, like I was I was like in the beer garden, like I mean I I. I no, wait, wait, how could you not know it happened? The gas station got burned down. <laughs> you know, I mean it's because I well, I guess what I'm saying is that I like I wasn't following the news, right? And um, and so I was just living my life in the city of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and everything was just normal like it didn't it and meanwhile my parents are calling going oh my god are you okay like you like you know you need to be careful of yourself and make sure you don't go through that area and everyone was like hysterical and most of the people's lives in Milwaukee just went on as as normal well no and, and i, I and i pre- and, and that's what jennifer that's i want i appreciate your call i, I do and that's why i wanted to talk to you about it and i think I, I think it's great to have you here. I mean that. I appreciate you listening to the show. And I think it is, I, I genuinely mean this, I think it's great that you've had a wonderful experience in two years. And there's a lot of good places and there's a lot of things that Milwaukee has going for it. Having said that, though, I think you're also a little bit lucky um, because there's all sorts of people who own property um, who, who've had their cars stolen or had their houses vandalized. And it, it's unfortunately, it's not just an isolated situation anymore. Now, again... I think I think it's super that you know you haven't been the victims of carjackings, and I understand that there there are people that can go their entire lives and not be crime victims, and I hope that ends up being you. But when when I see shootouts on the freeway at one thirty in the afternoon, and I think the sheriff is right talking about how you have to change the culture of the city, that tells me. That just by trying to say, okay, well, these are a couple isolated instance, instances, I don't think that's fair because I don't think these are isolated instances. Um, we continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 919. It's 922. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's talk to uh, Jeff in Wind Lake. Jeff, good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I was uh, explaining to your uh, producer that yeah. answers that. Uh, my son and I were driving down the E94 bypass about a month and a half ago. And um, my son was driving. I was a passenger. And uh, he was doing about 60, 61 in the left-hand lane. And a car came flying up behind us and rode us right on the tail. I mean, very, very close. And we were going to get off on uh, go toward Hills Corners. Right. So we had, we had to be in the left lane. And this guy finally swerved around us. And got next to me, opened up the window and pointed a gun at us, gangster style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right out the window. And I yelled at my kid, gun, 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 and he nailed the brakes. So this guy went, you know, in front of us. 
Right. And it just goes to show you, there are crazy, crazy, crazy people yep. that are just pushing the envelope for, for no reason. A good friend of mine had something similar happen to them going on the Marquette Interchange, right where the shootout was not that long ago. Somebody wants to get ahead of him or whatever, drop pulls up next to him, window goes down, points a gun at him. I'm just curious, Jeff, did you call the police after this happened or not bother? No, we didn't even bother. Because the car's gone, right? What are they going to do? You know, and it happened so fast, and this guy booked away. It was one of these real small... Yeah, you didn't get a good description. No, I, I get it. No, thanks. No, I, I mean, I, I, I understand. Plus, if you would have called, what are they going to do? Or, you know, you, by the time you call, the car is five miles down the road, probably stolen anyways. Lynn in Milton. Lynn, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. My blood is boiling. I'll try to stay composed. I personally know three people that have had incidents in Milwaukee. My brother was shot at when someone walked up to him and asked him for a few bucks. My brother gave him a, some money in his wallet, and he pulled out a gun, and he said, oh, no, I want it all. My brother gave him his wallet, and the guy shot him, grazed the side, side of his head twice. Another uh, friend was in Milwaukee on the east side delivering pizzas on Christmas uh, and was carjacked, He and they totally trashed the car, took he had his Christmas gifts, and he's a college kid, you know, working for a few bucks right. at a pizza place. The third person I know was um, carjacked and shot in the face just a few weeks ago. Mm. 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 Well, I mean, I, I, I respect our the young lady that called Jennifer, and I think it's great that, you know, and, and I understand there's some really nice areas, and if you hang out on the, the hip and trendy east side and, and the third ward, you know, maybe the chances of you being a crime victim aren't that great. But as a, as a general rule, um, you're, you know, you're, you're here to talk about it, Lynn, about how, you know, you know three separate people who've been involved as victims of gun crime in, in Milwaukee and in not that long a period of time. Yeah, and it's not it's not the concealed carry people no, that I'm worried not. about at all. No. It's, the, it's the gangsters and the right. thugs that, no, right. you know. No, right. The, the, the whole concealed carry thing is, is just a... A, a ruse um, that, that Tom Barrett has has drawn up to try to deflect problems away from the out of control violence, and instead of like really trying to deal with some of the major issues, like why are people who are committing these crimes continually out on the street? Matter of fact, I've got a story about that coming up in just a couple minutes. Um, all right, when we come back, big story number three: Obamacare, and then I've got a really interesting story from Franklin, a mom who is upset with a book. It got assigned to the freshman reading, the freshman class in the high school. Does the mom have a point? Stick around. It's 926. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Two years and two sellouts. That means you cannot hesitate to get your tickets to this year's WTMJ Holiday Radio Show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. On November 27th, that is a Monday, at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, you can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas. And you can see all your favorite voices on stage with you as the live studio audience. It's very, very cool. It's one of our favorite things in the year. Tickets go on sale next Monday at noon at papstheater.org. But be listening all this week to Wisconsin's Morning News and Wisconsin's Afternoon News for your chance to win those tickets before you can buy them. 
If I did have one message for the Department of Homeland Security when it comes to this Russian hacking thing, that message would be get get your act together. Um, big headlines all over the weekend about how apparently the, the, the Department of Homeland Security tells Wisconsin that during the last election, ru- the Russian government had tried to hack into the state's voter registration system. This is all part of an investigation as to you know Russian hacking. Now, the message was, didn't get through, there was no problem, but they made the attempt. And then, then Homeland Security says, well, you know, that memo we sent out, and then that's a pretty big deal. Russians trying to hack into, uh, again, what went on in Wisconsin. And, of course, there's still a lot of people that don't understand how it was that Wisconsin went for Donald Trump instead of Hillary Clinton this year. So, I mean, it was it Russian hacking? What was the look? And if they tried to do this, what did they really do? Well, as it turns out, then Homeland Security says, well, well never mind. Actually, the Russian government didn't try to hack into um, the voter registration system. Uh, but then they say, but they did try to hack into um, the Department of Workforce Development. Huh. Why you would want to do that, I, I don't exactly know. But that didn't succeed either. But anyhow, the folks at the Election Commission are deservedly, deservedly a little bit unhappy here because they say, hey, look, there, there we, we said that we didn't know anything about this. Um, and we were essentially accused of being involved in a cover-up. And turns out that this whole thing is not true. And I, I think to that extent, they have a very good point. So maybe if the Department of Homeland Security is going to come out and accuse and indicate that they've got data saying that there's Russians hacked into this or that or the other thing, they should at least get it right. All right, big story number three. If you like your health care now, you're, you're stuck with it. Um, the Senate and the House have made multiple attempts to try to repeal and replace Obamacare. Those attempts have come with no support from Democrats. So all Republicans in the U.S. Senate, the Republicans have a majority, but a slim majority. There's 52 Republicans and there's 48 either Democrats or um, independents that caucus with the Democrats like Bernie Sanders. The various efforts at reforming health care have gone nowhere because of a handful of Republican senators, um, Susan Collins from Maine, the senator from Alaska, John McCain. So there, there's almost no working margin. So Ron Johnson and a handful of other senators took one last-ditch effort at trying to repeal and replace Obamacare. It had to be accomplished by Friday, um, and that, that reform is now dead. John McCain announced over the weekend that he was not going to vote for it. It's still a little bit unclear why he decided not to vote for it. He might have principled objections. I think part of it is that he's still a little bit hacked off at Donald Trump for the things that Trump said about him during the last campaign. And I understand why McCain would be hacked off at at Trump. But, you know, he voted no. Susan Collins said she was going to vote no. Rand Paul, very, very conservative senator from Kentucky, said he was going to vote no because it did not go far enough. So the bottom line is... At least for, I think, the next two years, health care reform is dead. It's over. Nothing's going to happen. And so if you like Obamacare, you are going to keep Obamacare. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a, is this a good result? Are you satisfied with doing nothing to reform and or replace 
what we have now. The status quo, the history of, of this country is that once you get an entitlement passed, it is virtually impossible to ever go back on that entitlement. And one of the reasons the Republican Senator uh, Susan Collins voted no, she said, well, I, I saw this report that said there would be millions of more people who would be uninsured if we repealed Obamacare. Well, yes, that's true, but there's an asterisk. It wouldn't be because people couldn't get insurance. It would be because people would have the option to choose not to buy insurance if they didn't want to, making, again, an analysis of saying, gee, well, you know, maybe – Given the fact that the premiums are going to be X thousands of dollars and the deductible I've got is $15,000 or whatever, I'm willing to to self-insure myself. So, I mean, yes, more people would have been uninsured, but that's not because necessarily their access to insurance would have been denied. It would just be because they were making the decision not to. So um, in many, many counties, the estimates are now about 70 percent of the counties, um, there is only one insurer that offers an exchange. So you have... No choice, effectively, if you live in one of those counties and you're under the Affordable Care Act, you have no choice of what insurers to go to. Um, You're going to get whatever doctors are part of that plan. You're not going to have flexibility with regard to premiums or deductibles. But but that's the system you have. So are, are are you satisfied with the fact that nothing is going to happen? Is this is this for the better in Wisconsin? And in this country, we discuss next. My answer is, um, unfortunately, I, I think we get what we deserve. And I think Obamacare is an absolute train wreck. I think it is going to get worse and worse over the next couple of years. And I think it is an incredible disappointment that nothing could be done. But nothing apparently can be done. So now people that are stuck on these exchanges, um, you're going to have to live with it. And I think that's too bad. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss next. It's 942. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mayor Barrett unveiled his new budget yesterday. Who are the biggest winners and losers? John McCure and Melissa Barclay dive into the numbers today at 520 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, good morning. Morning. What do you think? Um, hi. So I think that, uh, you know, if they somehow figure out the pre-existing conditions and guarantee those people an affordable rate, um, I think it's a done deal. So... Well, you know, I mean, like, for example, in, in Wisconsin, you know, we didn't have a problem because the, the pre-existing condition is, of course, a huge factor. You don't you don't want somebody who's worked all their life and loses their job suddenly not to be able to get insurance or affordable insurance because they've got diabetes or they've got a, right. uh, a health situation. All. Now, in Wisconsin, before the Affordable Care Act, you know, we had... We had Badger Care. We had the the high risk pool for people who couldn't get insurance through the conventional markets, and I think that worked pretty well. Not all states have it. Kind of high. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I thought some people had said it was pretty high. So yeah, I mean, but I but exactly at the same time, you know, it, right? Well, I mean, thanks to Kelsey, but at the same time, you talk to people under Obamacare now, especially people who don't qualify for the subsidies. Subsidies. So if you make, I don't know what the number is, 80 grand. And you know you uh, you look at what you're what you're able to get. Um, what you're going to find is yes, you'll, you'll get the coverage, but maybe you've got I don't know a six thousand dollar deductible 
um, or maybe even a larger deductible than that. So, I mean, I understand that pre-existing conditions is a factor. Now, again, in Wisconsin, I think we did a pretty good job of dealing with that. Craig in West Bend. Craig, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Um, I just want to clarify one real quick thing on the state high-risk plan, which I was on. And I'm an insurance agent for 15 years, so I've been working a lot with the Obamacare. But that when that plan ended, my wife and I, she had a normal pro- uh, private plan through WPS, and I was on the state. We both had the same deductible, right around 5500 I had another 1000 in co-insurance, but I had really good drug coverage. So basically about 11000 out of pocket. We were paying the exact same premium, $334 a piece. Right. So when WPS took it over, they were able to keep the rate increases down to about 4%. Don't know why, but the, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, we did it good, and there was 35 total states that had it. Right. So that was that. But <clears throat> going into the this season of Obamacare, uh, the bill that those guys had out, I, I couldn't say yes or no to it because it didn't really explain how they were going to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think it would have, you know, it would have taken so long. I don't know how long they were going to take to implement it, but it was going to be a while. But this year, what a lot of people don't realize is the feds cut the funding for navigators by 42% in the state of Wisconsin. But Navigators being the ones who help place people with insurance. <clears throat> exactly. So with all of those people not answering the phone. And when you called the, the 800 number, people thought you were calling the government down in London, Kentucky. No, those calls would get routed out to all these different people. The navigators, I could have been a navigator. I might hire 20 people. The government gives me a million dollars, and we en- enroll a bunch of people. Well, if you cut that, now you don't have those navigators. So when people call in, the whole times, these are my predictions, the whole times are going to be astronomical for starters. Right. Then you're going to have people say, well, the heck with that. I'm going to go online and do it. And then they'll crash that system. So this year is just the enrollment period alone. I'm predicting at least 15% of my customers will say, the heck with it. I'll go without insurance. They're talking about not enforcing the penalty. You know. Are you on the affordable? I'm curious. Are you on the Affordable Care Act now, Craig? Well, the Affordable Care Act is a law. It's not a product. People, right. you don't sign up for government. Are, are, do you get do you get insurance but through the I, insurance I, exchange now? Everybody does. You can't buy it direct from anybody anymore. So you always get routed through the government. But yes, my wife and I, we now have fifty five hundred dollar, yeah, fifty five hundred dollar deductible apiece, six thousand five hundred and fifty max out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And we're paying thirteen hundred and ninety-six dollars a month. So it's more than you were paying. It's more than you were paying before the Affordable it's Care over Act. Over double. It's right. over double. Right. And that I mean, th- I get and see, and that's that's kind of the point that that, that I was making. Uh, again, I, I think the, the way we did it really well in Wisconsin. And, and again, I, I understand there's no guarantees that what we were doing in Wisconsin would necessarily translate uh, across the country. But I think there, for a lot of people. The fact of the matter is, they're going to be a lot better. They're going to be a lot worse off as Obamacare continues. Um, here's what Kevin says: The status quo is killing me. I'm 45 and self-employed, income too high for subsidies, but still struggling to make ends meet. In 2018, I will need to find a new insurer for the third time in three years on the heels of a 25. 25- 
percent premium increase, and that's not knowing prices for 2018. I honestly don't know if I'll be able to afford insurance, and no one seems to care. Remind me again why I voted for the Republicans. Well, I think there's a lot of Republicans that care. There's just a couple that don't or don't have the guts to take on the changes, don't have the guts to try to do something creative, and don't have the guts to say that the Affordable Care Act isn't working. Just saying. It's 952. It's 955. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I was just laughing off the air with my producer. Yeah, I, I really haven't been – I have not, not felt – well, I haven't been sick for a couple years, so – for people who don't know, I'm getting married on Friday. I'm getting getting remarried on Friday, and so I've got that coming up. And then we've we've purchased the house, and so I've got doing all the closing stuff over the course of the next week or two. So I really can't get sick. I cannot get sick. Unfortunately, somebody didn't say that because last night I met. Actually, it's it's my fiance, her grandson's got he's got a football game, um, like a flag football game, and we're there. And I'm I'm sitting there, and I, I notice. I said, boy, my, my allergies are kicking up. This is the first time my allergies have bothered me this year. We're sitting outside and stuff, and I thought maybe it's a change in barometric pressure and all. I think it's my allergies. I, I get home, and, gee, it's not my allergies. I, I've got this sore throat coming on. I've got the, you know, I've, I've got the stuffy nose. So, And it's like, I can't be sick. I cannot be sick right now. So you want to be listening for the next two hours as I try to, like, milk try to see if, if I can extend my voice that long. But but also, it's kind of like, oh, no, I can't be sick. So I'm taking every sort of cold remedy known to man, woman, or beast. I'm just, like, popping all these things. I'm taking so much vitamin C that I, I suspect I'm going to, like, kind of glow orange. That, that's sort of it. But we're, you know, we're, we're going to make it work out. It's kind of like, no, I cannot be sick. I can't be sick. And then you come down with a cold. Hey, coming out up in about 10 minutes, I'm going to share with you the story from Franklin. It is a book that... It's assigned reading in the freshman literature class, and at least one mom has some issues, and she raised some of those concerns with the principal down there, and I'll, I'll share the principal's response. In all honesty, I'm not sure it really addresses that, so we're going to be dealing with that. Speaking about teachers, a couple days ago, I told you about this, this uh, woman who was a fifth-grade teacher in Tallahassee, Florida, first-year teaching class, and she sends home this note with the kids saying that in her classroom, they're going to use gender-neutral pronouns. In other words, no referring to people as he or him or she or hers. We're going to use general-neutral programs like pronouns like there and all. And she does not want to be referred to as Ms. or Miss or Mrs. She wants to be referred to as Mix, M-X. Well, needless to say, a lot of parents were wondering, who is this woman, and, and, and isn't this a, a tad odd? And so they, they voiced some concerns. The update on this story is the school district has apparently transferred her out of the fifth grade class and assigned her to work with students in their adult basic education program. So rather than dealing with impressionable minds, she's probably going to be dealing, again, again with older people who might be more understanding of what I think is a very bizarre choice. Don't call me Ms. Don't call me Mrs. Don't call me Miss. I want to be known as Mix. Hmm. All right. Now, here's the story. This could be you. A 65, well, couldn't be me. And it couldn't be you, Jane Matinair. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. Now, trust me. No, you're looking at me. I, okay. This is not going to be you. The sheriff's office, Washington County Sheriff's Office, 
cited a 65-year-old village of Sussex man for disorderly conduct last evening for practicing yoga naked in the Richfield Historical Park. I drove past the Richfield Historical Park last night. I was in Richfield. I had dinner. Then I went down to Sussex to watch this football game. The sheriff's office responded to the park in the village of uh, Richfield at 6.58 p.m. This would have been two nights ago after a couple reported seeing the man performing yoga on a park platform without any clothing on, displaying his shortcomings, presumably. Deputies were initially unable to locate the man, but did find his unoccupied vehicle on the grounds. Based on the scene investigation, the incident evolved into more of a welfare check as darkness darkness fell, because they didn't know where the naked guy was. Utilizing an unmanned aircraft system, um, they ultimately found the guy in the dark at 841. He told Sussex man, Sussex has to be like popping their buttons over this guy, the Sussex man told deputies that he often practices yoga clothed. But due to the fact that it was warm, he disrobed. Huh. Huh. You know, I get it. I mean, you're out in the public park, you're doing yoga, it's warm. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I received an interesting email from someone yesterday. Um, and I, I want to I kind of just back into this. I, um, I, as somebody who makes his living under the auspices of the First Amendment, I, I'm, I'm not a book banner. I, I'm, I'm not at all. And I think at the same time, I think that things need to be age appropriate. And that's what really caught my attention. Now, I, I want to say I have not read this particular book that we're going to talk about. I have read various descriptions of it, including a review of the book, um, on, on uh, several reviews of the book that were done, including one on the New York Times. If you follow me on Twitter, it's um, it's um, at Jeff Wagner 620. When I, when I tweeted out the, the tease to this topic, I did include a link to the New York Times book review uh, about this. But I, I don't think that there's a lot of question about uh, about the nature of this book. Anyway, here, here's the deal. The lady sends me a note. I am a 42-year-old conservative mother of two teenage boys living in Franklin. My younger son, who is 14 years old, needed to get a book for his freshman literature class at Franklin High School. The book is Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock, by Matthew Quick. This is the same guy that wrote Silver Linings Playbook. You might be familiar with either the book or the movie. Once I discovered, the email continues, the content of the book, I was compelled to reach out to the school. The remainder of my email to you includes the email I sent to his literature teacher, which I also copied to the principal and associate principals. I will then show you the response I got. So this is this is what the lady, the 42-year-old mom, sends to the school. Um, she says, before you, you read the emails... I want you to read a synopsis of the book uh, here. And here's she said, I found this on Common Sense Media. I, I've also, again, I, I've checked out the description of this book, and, I, and this is not an unfair description. Okay, parents need to know that the book "Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock" is a book about the title character planning to murder his former best friend and then kill himself with a Nazi gun that he inherited from his grandfather. The gritty, poignant, coming-of-age story has lots of mature content, including the revelation that a boy was raped for years by a friend who was himself sexually assaulted by an adult. Boys in a P.E. class 
a Persian kid with hockey sticks, um, was also sexually assaulted in the book until he's nearly unconscious. A book, a boy, this is all in the book, a boy pressures a girl sexually, continuing to kiss her even after she tells him to stop, and he later sees his friend um, engaging in self-pleasure in his room. Leonard's elderly neighbor smokes heavily and uses racist slurs, including the N-word. Strong language is used heavily throughout, including all sorts of words that I cannot begin to say on the radio. There's a lot here that teens will find painful and distressing, but there's hope, too. Leonard's teacher tells him, I know how hard being different can be, but I also know how powerful a weapon being different can be, how the world needs such weapons. Okay, um, so... This is this is the book. It's about a guy, a kid, who is plotting to kill his best friend at school with all the other collateral stuff. So the lady sees it. She has a concern. She says, um, hello, I, I am so-and-so. This is my son, 14 years old. In your freshman literature class, um, he gave me the name of a book that he needs to obtain for your class. Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock by Matthew Quick. I have some concerns about this reading material. I understand that I've not read the book. If I had been given proper notice that a heavier topic was going to be exposed to him, I would have wanted to read preview the book. All I have read is the book jacket, so forgive me if I'm jumping the gun. I had to order off of Amazon, and I could not find it in any bookstore. Um, I ordered it before I knew the content. Um, the book jacket reads, Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock, is a fiction novel about a 17-year-old boy who plans to shoot his ex-best friend, then kill himself on his 18th birthday. Upon further researching this matter, I am able to uncover that the main character is going to execute this murder-suicide plan because his friend had sexually abused slash raped him years prior. The book has been described by reviewers as a richly empathetic foray into violent mental illness, an extremely uncomfortable read, and a book that explores sexual violence. I personally feel that in today's climate, this sensitive topic might not be appropriate for all at this developmental age level. I have talked to my son about the subject matter of the book. I do not have concerns for him in particular, but concerns in general. I understand that in today's day and age, Kids are exposed to this type of matter all the time. That being said, if a school is going to choose to explore these types of topics with students, I am in the opinion that parents should be involved in those decisions and be included in the conversation. Could parents have been given the option to have their child opt out? How are books and subject matter chosen at each grade level? Uh, My son tells me that they got to choose which book they wanted to read. He said that you laid some books out on the table for them to choose. He told me that he chose the book simply because it had a cool-looking cover. So typical of a 14-year-old boy. He was unaware of the content slash topic. Um, And she said, I look forward to hearing your rationale for having this book as part of your curriculum for this age group. And she gets a response from the principal. Here's the response. We believe choice is the most important factor in student engagement, and choice is central to reading in this course. This means that the content and difficulty of the course readings will vary widely, as will some of the book's themes or language. There is not a strict filter on reading material in our classrooms. We strive to offer a huge variety of books that appeal to all readers' interests. Through our course syllabi and open communication, 
Thank you for reaching out. We ask for parental support in promoting wide literacy by trusting students with diverse books and encourage selecting appropriate reading that is challenging yet age-appropriate. We at times encourage students to change a reading choice or prohibit reading of certain texts in class, especially with parents say so. No specific reading is required, just lots of it. Parents can opt to have their students not read a specific choice title, um, etc. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, the, the way I figure, the way I can figure this out is they're supposed to read stuff. The teacher has a bunch of selected or potential books, including this book. The mom has no idea what the subject matter of this book is until she starts poking around when her son comes home and says, hey, this is one of the books that the teacher had. I want to look in. You know, I, I think it sounds like a cool title. I, I want to read it. And it turns out it's about a, a murder-suicide being planned by a high school kid with all sorts of really bad language and all sorts of graphic references to, to sex. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this... Does this mom have have a point that is stuff like this? And again, I haven't read the book, but that's why I tried to look at a wide variety of, of reviews. Are things like this appropriate in freshman literature classes? And um, if things like this are going to be at least encouraged or allowed to be read, is when the content is of this nature... Don't the parents have a right to have a heads up? This particular mom, I don't think, would have known about the content of this book were it not for the fact that the kid came home and said, okay, this is what I'm going to read, and then she started, okay, we can't find it in a bookstore, we'll order it on Amazon, and then the mom is up there typing in the stuff on Amazon, and she finds out, wait a second, this is about a high school kid who's planning to kill his best friend who was involved in um, a, a sexual assault, 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Honestly, I think this mom has a point, and I'm not sure I understand the school's response to this at all. I mean, does really, does anything go um, when it comes to school reading? And in this particular case, while it wasn't actually an assigned book, it was one that was certainly suggested because this is the one that the teacher puts out and says, hey, these are books that you might want to consider reading. Now, I understand that kids get exposed to various adult concepts. Um, you've got the whole Slender Man thing that's going on. But are books like this appropriate for, I guess, 14-year-old kids in high school freshman literature classes? I mean, for goodness sakes, whatever happened to some of the real classics? Okay, 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1018. It's 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Mike and Fond du Lac texts. Jeff, I think it's inappropriate for that age group. I'm also appalled at the principal's response to her specific questions and her concerns. She put a lot of thought and concern into her letter. The principal instead responds in kind, deciding to pass, along with some bologna sausage. I, I, I know you can't say what I'm really thinking on the air. Yeah, I mean, th- this, I, I'm not a book banner, okay? But I'm thinking of the universe of books that you can assign in a, or have people read in a freshman literature class, a book that, I don't know, focuses on one classmate planning to murder another classmate that has all sorts of inappropriate language in it that features a history of sexual assault and various depictions of sex acts. Can't you really do better than that in a freshman literature class? I, I'm just, 
I'm just asking. Nathan says, these are the times we live in. To Kill a Mockingbird, bad. Book about sexual violence and murder-suicide, a sign of self-expression. Yeah, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Trevor in West Bend. Trevor, good morning. Good morning. I, I understand where the mother is coming from on this, 100%. But on the same hand, we're, we're not sheltering these kid, children anymore. We have to stop sheltering these kids. Mm-hmm. This happens on a daily basis. The kid's 14, 15 years old. They're, they're watching the news. They see what's going on in this world. Do you think if you are going to allow books like this to be presented that at least the parents should get a heads up as to the type of material that's going to be in them. Most definitely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I guess, and that's, do, I, mean, right. do I think that this is a book that, that should be a mandatory read in, in freshman literature class? Absolutely not. Right. And I don't think, in fairness to Franklin, I don't think it is a man, it's not a mandatory read. They're required to read various books. It was a suggested read. The teacher says, hey, that this is, this is one of the books. And the kid didn't know, I mean, the kid was, I, gee, it looks like it's a cool title, you know. Forgive me, whatever. Leonard P- Peacock. Okay, so I mean, you know, and then and then the mom doesn't know anything about. It. I guess. See, that's that's part of the issue as well. Mom has no idea what kid is reading until kid comes home and says, "Hey, I need to get this book for my literature class. Um, here, would, would you get it for me on Amazon?" And then mom goes to order it on Amazon. It's like, what? This is about murder, suicide, and um, you know, a reenactment of well, not necessarily Columbine, but here, a, a killing of a classmate, and uh, we're talking about sexual abuse, and we're talking about all these things. I mean, I'm sorry, I just th- this strikes me as an inappropriate book in general. I think for to be to be taught in high schools. I, I just I, I believe that, and I am a little bit troubled by the response that they get in Franklin, which is kind of like, well, we we just kind of we want them to read, and you know you you can always opt out of this stuff. Well, you can't opt out of it unless you know what is in it. It's bothersome to me that apparently in Franklin they think something like this would be acceptable in the first uh, place. Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Eric. Hi, Eric. Yes. You know, my father was a, a principal, and uh, what I think is going on here, the mother, I think, did a fantastic job of writing that letter, and the response, I think, was ridiculous. I think it should have been a phone call and explaining what the class is. It's not like a lot of legal speak to cover their, their tail, but when they make these lists of books up, they look to see what's age-appropriate by what they're rated at, and I think that a book like this, and I think there are probably more books on the list. Some parents might have a, a object to it, and I bet you the teacher maybe hasn't read all these books and doesn't know what's in them. Mm-hmm. But they're just giving them a wide breadth of stuff to pick from because they want them to read. Right. Now, that can easily be fixed by when you go through, give a short synopsis of the book, send something home to the parents. This, this right. sounds like a book that, well, I was a junior in high school. It sounds like a book that... I certainly wouldn't want my son reading without me at least having a talk with him about what's in this book, what it means, right. what you could learn from it, because, you know... Yeah, and, and, and having an opportunity... Right, and I don't, I don't know how it ends. I'm, I mean, thank, again, I, I mean, thanks, because I'm at a disadvantage because I don't know how it ends. I, I did try to review... I, I when before I did this topic, I tried to look at a number of different descriptions. Like I say, this is why I read the New York Times review of this, because I... I 
I mean, you, you hear the subject matter, and clearly you go, my God, this is people, you, you got high school kids that you are, encur- freshman high school kids that you're encouraging to read this, and the bad language, and all the sexual references, and I guess, look, the, the idea that the kids have heard the words, or the kids are familiar with murder suicides of classmates, and they're familiar with drug use, and they're familiar with all the different sexual assault type of things, that the fact that they, they might have that, they might be familiar with it, doesn't mean it's necessarily something that is appropriate to be encouraged to be taught and or you get credit for reading in a high school class. And I, I, get, I think I, I agree. At the very least, before you you suggest a book like this on your reading list, and that's what I think happened. It wasn't mandatory reading, but you've got to read X amount of books. Here is one of the books that you know you know you have to consider. I think at the very least when you have something like this, you can't be so completely tone deaf to the content of it that you do it without giving the parents advance notice. And that's and that's what this mom w- was saying. She's like, hey, you know, it would have been nice for somebody to tell me that this was one of the books. I just found out about this when I go to Amazon and I'm reading the review of it going, it's about what? It's about what? I mean, seriously, I, I think the mom has a point. And we're not talking about book banning. We're talking about Age appropriate. Um, isn't it interesting that it's controversial now to assign Mark Twain books? It's controversial to assign uh, Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, but apparently it's perfectly acceptable to assign books about, I don't know, sexual assault and plans to murder your classmates. Huh. 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> It's 1035. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Are the 2-in-1 Packers among the NFL elite? Wayne Larrabee has bumped them up in his newest NFL power poll. Check out his latest ratings as part of his blog up now under the Packers section of WTMJ.com. When you're there, check out all the podcasts that we have. You'll hear podcasts from a number of voices that you don't hear regularly on the radio, but also all our shows are podcasts. And I know a lot of people download this program. I very much appreciate that. All right. Hey, if you live in West Dallas, this this is the type of rule that I think perhaps makes the new leader of the Democrats in the Assembly, Gordon Hintz, a little bit unhappy. He's the guy whose big claim to fame, besides threatening a Republican female, telling her that she was going to be blanking dead, although he didn't use the word blanking. Talk about the war on women. Uh, Gordon Hintz, his other big claim to fame is that he was arrested as part of a prostitution sting that they were running in these, this Appleton massage parlor. All right, well, he's not going to be happy about this rule. West Allis is now temporarily banning massage parlors from, from there. Um, here, here's the deal. After police arrested six people in connection with alleged prostitution in two West Allis massage parlors, not even a month before, the city is now calling for a moratorium on any new <clears throat> massage therapy businesses. What they're going to do is they're going to, so what they intend to do is they tend to say, okay, we're not going to approve any more massage parlors in West Dallas. Huh. A couple of people standing outside my window, just all upset. No more new massage parlors in West Dallas until what they're going to do is they're going to change the zoning ordinance because if, if you want to open up a, a massage parlor, you're going to have to get a special use permit from the city. And what that will mean is if you get a special use permit and you, again, decide to run your massage therapy as a you know as a massage 
parlor, a violation of the law, what would happen is it would be easier to pull your license. So that's what they are trying to do. But, yes, massage parlors temporarily banned from coming into West Dallas after apparently people were traveling to West Dallas to get more than just, hey, work on that work on that pain I've got in the, in my back or whatever. Or, I've got that pain in my neck. I, I don't want to go ahead and buy that my pillow that the guy talks about on the radio. Here, here, here's what I want to do. Um, you know, help me work out those kinks. I'm just just kind of saying. So um, no new massage parlors in West Dallas, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay. I, um, I, I, I of course, as everybody, I've been following the, this controversy involving the NFL. And I do think I've been struck by what I see as a disconnect between the chattering class and between wh- where I think mainstream America is. If you listen to commentators on television and you, you pretty much read the mainstream media, you, you Donald Trump gets no support at all for his criticism of, of the NFL players. It, it's almost this, this unified voice. How terrible the president is just dead wrong criticizing these athletes for protest. And that is it really is this group think. That's out there. It doesn't matter whether you're watching television or whether you're reading the newspapers or whatever or, you know, online columns, at least among the mainstream media. That's it. Trump is losing big. Matter of fact, I I opened this uh, USA Today this morning. I opened this story. It was about how the Republicans are hoping to cash in on the NFL anthem protest drama. It talks about Republicans are raising money based on supporting Trump and and the, the voiceover. Um, had some reporter saying, well, nobody agrees with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the big loser in this, yet the Republicans are trying to raise money. To which I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute. I, I just, again, I think this is this arrogant disconnect that's there. I think, as a matter of fact, while there are clearly some people who side with the athletes, I think that there's actually a lot of people who support the president on his position. Now, there's some of us who, even though we think the president's right, don't necessarily understand why he decided to inject himself into this last Friday and take an issue that was essentially dying down and now bring it back front and center. But as to the merits, that the general consensus is, well, we're we're just, you know, people, nobody agrees with Trump. Well, okay, maybe nobody who's a talking head on TV agrees with Trump, or maybe nobody who, you know, writes a column for a newspaper agrees with Trump, but I don't think that's necessarily representative, but that's the way the mainstream media views things. Now, I want to use that as a launching point for something else. Over the last couple of days, ESPN, which started out, it's the sports network, right? ESPN has, over the last several months, become intentionally a lot more political. They have moved away from just covering games and showing highlights. So now they have various commentators who opine on a regular basis, both on the air and off the air, about political issues. I mean, you had the whole thing about, you know, Jamel Hill, who's the woman who um, co-anchors their 5 o'clock or their 6 o'clock sports center, talking about how if you support Donald Trump, you're a white supremacist. ESPN stands by her. They fire Kurt Schilling for conservative views, but they stand by Jamel Hill. After this controversy with Trump, if you watched any of the ESPN shows. Again, the the narrative, it was like 100%. Trump is wrong. Oh, this is terrible. But it was one commentator after another just attacking the president. 
ESPN, I think, seems to believe that the way it is going to succeed is by trying to be MSNBC or trying to be CNN, moving away from its let's cover sports and people don't want to hear about politics to here, we're going to stand up for social injustice, and in this case, we're going to bash Trump right and left, because that's been pretty much what's been going on over the last couple days. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it's no secret ESPN rate, ESPN's ratings have been plunging for a while now. Part of it, again, just like the NFL ratings, part of it is an oversaturation of sports. Part of it is the fact that um, you have a number of of different different competitors who have now come up and you know are kind of like chipping away at some of the ESPN audience part of it is the fact that um ESPN you know used to have all the shows where they featured replays nowadays you know if you want to watch replays of the highlights of a Brewers game you've got all sorts of choices you don't have to wait till sports center comes on at 10 o'clock at night you can see them on your own time so there's all those different things that are out there but I happen to believe that one of the factors that is leading to the struggles of ESPN is that they are trying to be, again, political. They're trying to be CNN. They're trying to be MSNBC. And I don't think that's what sports fans work, want. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I also think that, again, I get this group think that's here, but I think that they're also on the wrong side of a lot of these various social issues. This idea that, okay, regardless of how you feel about the president, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't might think you might not think he's right on certain issues. And the group think is everybody's wrong on this NFL issue here. Um, uh, every, you know, the president's wrong on this NFL issue. Everybody agrees with us. I think it's that group think, and it's that liberal advocacy which is hurting. ESPN four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with uh, let's see Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. So ESPN lost me as a viewer a few weeks ago when they decided not to discipline and ultimately fire the gal that called Trump a racist. It was going downhill for a while, and I've been watching less and less. And now, unless there's a very specific sporting event that they are the only. Uh, network carrying they will not have me tuned into any other networks mm-hmm. do you think that's a do you think that's a conscious choice that they are making it has to be because when they when they chose to fire kurt Schilling for making his stances that he made a year ago but don't choose to do anything now for somebody calling our president a terrorist yep yeah that's conscious yeah, I, I, right. I, no, thanks. I mean, I, I think clearly you're, you're right. And now it, it's kind of like, okay, we're, and they've decided, they've decided they're going to be political, and they've decided they're going to be on the anti-Trump side, and that if you support the president or you agree with him on issues, well, there, there's nobody out there, or you just don't matter. And I think the reality is there's a lot of people who, I mean, again, we'll take the anthem story, or who just think it's inappropriate for you know somebody to be calling the president a white supremacist, um, especially somebody who's supposed to be essentially a sports reporter. I think people tune in. I know I tune into these things because I want to I want to hear about the base. I want to hear who the Colorado Rockies are playing this afternoon or tonight. I, I want to hear what their chances of winning. I want to hear who's injured, you know, um, for the Packers-Bears games. That's the type of stuff. I think people turn to sports 
as a release and this idea that uh, this idea that okay now we're going to try to be hip and trendy and we're going to try to offer political commentary and it's I'm not saying that people don't have the right to op- opinions I'm just saying is that where people want to go to have politics that's where I think the mistake is let's talk to um, let's see Scott in New Berlin Scott you're on 620 WTMJ good morning uh, yeah I am just stunned that when we're discussing individuals peacefully protesting racial injustice ESPN talks about racial injustice which is now a political issue the president called a whole bunch of people's mothers bitches and you say that's a liberal view meaning conservatives don't support the idea of racial injustice no don't think there should be racial well no I, I think that I, no I think that well I mean if you want to talk no Scott if you want to talk about the, the the bigger picture first of all I mean the examples I was using was that the Jamel Hill calling the president uh, a white supremacist and saying that any supporters of the president must invariably be that and that's essentially what she ended up saying now if you want to debate and we, we've done this ad nauseum the whole question about you know what does Colin Kaepernick's protest mean and things like that well I mean that's the subject for another discussion but I mean the question becomes all right you know he's pro what when Michael Bennett sits in and protests racial injustice what is Michael Bennett protesting Michael Bennett is protesting the fact that gee he was in a nightclub in Las Vegas um, when police showed up investigating shots fired, they told everybody to stop, he, to stand, stay put. He was hiding behind a slot machine, fled, jumped over a four-foot barrier, ran from cops. They chased him and put him on the ground and arrested him. And he says he's arrested because he was a black man. Forget the fact that you've got hundreds of other black men that are at a casino at the time, but that's racial injustice. So, I mean, that's, that's I think, what the issue ends up being in these regards. But, yes, I, I think... I, if if ESPN decides that they want to go into social policy, they have every right to do it. Do I believe that that is costing them viewers? You bet I think it is costing them viewers because I don't think people tune to ESPN necessarily to hear Stephen A. Smith go off on a rant about, well, I'm just looking at the Stephen A. Smith rant about, you know, President Trump um, and how he believes that this was a nefarious grand scheme from the the president. Um, you know, those. I'm just saying, there's this place for politics and there's a place for political commentary. But I think a lot of people don't want to get it from their their sports. Again, if you want to defend people kneeling during the national anthem, um, all right, and engaging in peaceful protest, fine. You you can you can do that. If I were the NFL, and I've said this before. They have all sorts of rules. I would say you stand during, if you want to protest, you protest on your own time. And, yes, I, I would be curious as to, and plus you look at the protests, protests are all over the map. One of the guys that kneeled, that knelt down during the anthem during the Packers game, he said, well, I was protesting that there wasn't more help going to Puerto Rico. So I'm not even sure the people who are protesting know what they're protesting. Gary and Racine. Gary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, uh, you know, you could tell the, what, where I, I felt the way ESPN was heading was when they hired Keith Olbermann as a as a, a, a newscaster, yeah. a broadcaster. Uh, he was right way out there to listen to at the beginning, and then when he doesn't know anything about sports, on top of it, it's just 
Yeah, well, how, yeah, how did how did that decision work out? Like with I mean, Keith Olbermann originally, when they first had him on, he was he was funny, he was witty, he made fun of sports, and then he he went over to the political side, and I think again it turned a lot of people off because that's not why they were coming to ESPN. That's uh, and ES. I mean, thanks to God, don't get me wrong, ESPN has a right to do this. I mean, if they want to be MSNBC, they have every right to do this. If they decide that, you know, we, we want to be social justice warriors for whatever reason, that's great. That's great. They have a right to do it. They can run the network any way they want. I just think that if you look at the ratings decline they have, and if you look at all the layoffs, part of it is that decision. Not all of it, but part of what is leading to the decline in ratings is that decision. And I think there's a lot of people who probably say, we're never watching ESPN again. We're going somewhere else because we want to know about sports. It's 1049. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten fifty three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Um, there are reports that Rick Patino, who is the head coach at Louisville, before, I mean he's been around for a long time. But he's coached at uh, Louisville for sixteen years. Um, Patino appears to be out at uh, Louisville in the wake of the, this huge scandal um, on Tuesday. Federal prosecutors in New York announced charges of fraud and corruption about involving 10 people involved in college basketball, including four assistant coaches, um, one, let's see, one at Auburn, one at Oklahoma State, one at Arizona, and one at USC. The FBI probe focused on coaches being paid tens of thousands of dollars to steer NBA-bound players towards different sports agents. Federal criminal complaints accuse at least one coach of a public research university located in Kentucky, identified as Louisville, of taking part in a scheme to funnel about $100,000 from Adidas to an All-America high school player whom the Louisville team was recruiting. Uh, Tuesday night, Patino released a prepared statement saying, the allegations come as a complete shock to me. I know nothing uh, about them. Now, this is the same Rick Patino. Louisville's the one. Now, BDU is producing the show. Help me out because you're sports. Louisville's the one where the assistant coaches got in trouble for they'd bring recruits in and they were hooking them up with with sexual trysts with, like, co-eds or whatever. And that all came out. And Patino said he didn't know anything about that either. Now, here, here's the reality. If you are the head coach at a major ba- basketball institution – I do not believe you when you say that you do not know things are are going on. Oh my gosh, you were bringing kids on a re- in on a recruiting trip and you were you were arranging for women to have sex with them. I am shocked. I didn't know. It. I just don't believe you don't know that's going on. Now you might be the one that not direct that does not directly orchestrate it. You're not the one calling the people, but the the idea that assistant coaches were doing this stuff without your knowledge, it just it, it it's it doesn't make any sense to me. So Rick Patino um, at least he's telling people that he thinks that he is going to be out. Louisville currently is on probation, um, and he, again, is facing suspension by the uh, NCAA following the sex scandal investigation that he was um, involved in. So uh, it's just, again, for, for all these people who think college sports is just uh, above reproach, 
Um, it, it, it's not. And I think some programs are better than others. And Louisville under Rick Pitino is not one of those programs that would lump into the category of being better. Okay, when we come back, we got a lot of stuff on the plate. New book out that suggests, all you Trump haters, this is your chance, suggests that President Trump is, in fact, mentally ill. Tom Barrett says we're going to we we're going to close fire stations and the fire chief doesn't have too much of a problem with it. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. Stick around. It's 1056. It's 1108. Glad to have you with us. This is Jeff Wagner. All right. Um, I was I was telling the story earlier. We were having the conversation about the lady in Franklin who was unhappy that one of the the books that was approved for reading in her freshman literacy cl- in the freshman high school literature class was this book that talked about i don't know one classmate who was planning to murder the other classmate and a one that classmate apparently without giving away spoilers had a history of being abused sexually and it abused other people it's it, it's just you know clearly an inappropriate class for for freshmen but before i talked about this i, I did I, I was checking out some of the reviews and i was poking around various newspaper websites just looking for their reviews and so as somebody who reads a, a lot of books i it's it's interesting some of the other reviews that you find and as a matter of fact a friend of mine had called my attention to this particular book that has um, just come out. Matter of fact, I was looking at a review. It was reviewed um, by the Washington Post um, last Friday. So this is a new book that's out. It's called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. 27 psychologists and mental health experts assess a president. Now, let, let me just stop there. Can you imagine if you, and and what, they, what they have done is they have gone out to largely or almost exclusively liberal psychologists or psychiatrists, and they have asked them to write essays about what they think of Donald Trump, with the question being, is he mentally ill? And I'll, I think it's probably pretty clear that, you know, that this was something that you knew you were going to get. I just say at the outset, can you imagine if somebody had done this about, oh, say, Barack Obama or, or say, Bill Clinton, and you had gone out and you had found um, maybe people who were on the other side of the political aisle? Can you imagine what the outrage to that have been? But so this is the book, um, the again, Psychiatrists Reviewing the Mental Health of, of Donald Trump. Um, let me read you a portion of the review. Now... Some psychiatrists and other mental health professionals are shedding long-held norms to argue that Trump's condition presents risks to the nation and the world. The dangerous case of Donald Trump features more than two dozen essays breaking down the president's perceived traits, which the contributors find consistent with symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, sociopathy, and other maladies. Collectively with our co-authors, we warn that anyone... As mentally unstable as Mr. Trump should not be entrusted with the life and death powers of the presidency, says one of the psychiatrists that and writes that in the book's prologue. If so, what should we make of the nation that entrusted him with precisely such powers? Um, so again, this book, series of essays arguing that uh, he's a narcissist, he's an egomaniac, 
Um, he's mentally ill. He displays signs. I'm just reading through some of the summary points. Extreme present hedonism, the tendency to live in the moment without considering consequences, seeking to bolster one's self-esteem no matter the risk. He exhibits narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder, which includes believing you're better than others, exaggerating your achievements, and expecting constant praise. Combine hedonism, narcissism, again, I'm reading this review, and bullying, and you get an impulsive, immature, incompetent person who, when in the position of ultimate power, easily slides into the role of a tyrant. That's what one of the psychiatrists writes. Others suggest that Trump shows indications of sociopathy, including lack of empathy, absence of guilt, and intentional manipulation. Put it all together and you have malignant narcissism, which includes antisocial behavior, paranoid traits, even sadism. Hmm. Um, One of the psychiatrists writes, Mr. Trump's sociopathic characteristics are undeniable. They create a profound danger for America's democracy and safety. Over time, these characteristics will only become worse, either because Mr. Trump will succeed in gaining more power and more grandiosity with less grasp on reality, or because he will engender more criticism, producing more paranoia, more lies, and more enraged destruction. Um, as when the president stands before the U.N. General Assembly and threatens to totally destroy an enemy country of 25 million people. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So there's this new book out. You've got all these psychiatrists who admittedly are are all liberal who are arguing that Donald Trump is a, a sociopath, that he is dangerous, and what does it say about the American people that he has that we have elected him? All right, I understand that there are issues with the president. I understand that some of the stuff that he does is, as I have described it, kind of off-putting. No question about it. I understand that he picks fights that I do not get why he chooses to pick. But do you think he's dangerously unstable? Do you think he is mentally ill? Is this a basis for trying to invoke the 25th Amendment, which would, you know, toss the president out of office based on his inability to perform the tasks? Or is this just a guy with a big ego? Of course, you know, a lot of people, if you're going to be the leader of the free world, you've got to have a big ego. I mean, Barack Obama had a, a big ego. He was a lot more restrained, perhaps, in some things than President Trump. But all right. Is this evidence? Are you concerned that Trump is mentally ill? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this when we get back. But I'm curious as to what you think. 27 psychiatrists in this new book, apparently that's what they argue. It's called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this new book that's out. The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump has essays from 27 different psychiatrists or psychologists who all come to the same conclusion. Donald Trump is a sociopath. He is mentally unstable. He is going to get worse. All right. Now, I understand that the guy has a huge ego. I I get that. I understand that his reaction when challenged is, is to kind of double down on stuff. Okay, does that make him mentally unstable, though? Nathan in Milwaukee. Nathan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I'm not, um, you know, 
a Donald Trump uh, a fan by any means. You know, I'm probably you know first to be a critic of him on a lot of things, but you know, I study history in school. And I, we've kind of been over this debate with you going back over past presidents, other historical figures. Well, there's a lot of things we can critique on, like the clinical or psychological per- perspective. Can you really? What motivates a guy like Bill Clinton to do what he did with Monica Lewinsky? I mean, right? I mean, how does where, where is that? You know, what is what is psychologically going on with somebody, for example, like that, who is willing to take those kind of risks and be that irresponsible? And then don't even get me started on Richard Nixon, who was, <laughs> you know, just a, you know, I mean, but you get all those things. But yeah, I mean, you you look at the different people who occupied the Oval Office and a lot of different stuff, arguably going on. Yeah, exactly. And without, I mean, if you really want to be clinical and, and scholarly about it, without detailed interviews and other studies, you can't, this is, end of the day, I would think this is people taking some very strong political beliefs and trying to apply it into a no. strict medical science profession. It doesn't hold up. No, I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think this is, I think for these different psychiatrists or psychologists or whatever, I, I think you would look at them and determine, you know, is is this a situation where you've got Trump derangement syndrome, which is going on? So, I mean, I, again, I, I just I think it's kind of interesting because my guess is you could take any anybody. I mean, to think I, and I don't say this in a bad way to, to think that you could be the leader of the free world means you have to have one heck of an ego. And, and I mean, you just have to, to say, OK, I'm going to be the person that, that does that. And, and they all they, they all do. Now, I understand that there's some aspects of President Trump's personality, which, yeah, I use the phrase off-putting. It is. It's the, the, the necessity to belittle people. But that, that, that's his style. I mean, I don't know. Is that a sign of mental illness? Or is that just this is how this guy reacts to being criticized? I mean, the, the thin-skinned nature of stuff. I, I think there's a lot of politicians who are extremely thin-skinned, what they don't do necessarily is they, they express their frustrations behind closed doors, not in front of an open microphone. That's the style that I think Donald Trump has. I don't know. Does that equate with mental illness? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Barb in Wabino. Barb, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. It's Wabino. Wabino. First words, yep. I'm a retired RN. I was in medicine for 35 uh, years. And I would say, without a doubt, President Trump has some mental illness. Um, the way that he is so narcissistic, the way that he cannot even show any emotion at all towards his wife or family, the way that he... Well, let me stop you on that. How do you know... I mean, how, let me just stop you there for a second. I'll, I, how do you know he he shows no emotion towards his wife and family? I mean, I... Well, in public, he doesn't even hold our hand walking down the steps of Air Force One. Well, but that's a pretty large. I mean, that's a pretty large jump to say he doesn't hold her hand walking down the steps of Air Force One yeah. to say he shows yeah. no affection. Even if Jeff, come on, yeah. you, he hasn't shown one hug, one kiss. He can't even hold her hand when they were walking down Pennsylvania Avenue. So. I'm sorry, he he shows no emotion, even when you see him with Baron. You don't see him hugging Baron or holding Baron's hand. I mean, I, I'm really afraid that our country is going down the wrong way. Obviously, I'm not a big Trump supporter. I never have been. But this has got to go down as the worst president ever. Well, I guess, I mean, time, time will tell, I, I guess, 
Time, time will tell on that, and, and we'll know a couple years from now. I guess I'm just, and, and I understand where you cannot support the president on issues. Believe me, I understand why you cannot like the guy's style. I understand why people cannot like the blunt language he comes out with. That that's that's a far cry, though, from saying that somebody is again, you know, mentally ill. Are, are there a whole bunch of neuroses that are rolling around? Well, yeah, my guess is uh, we all have them uh, to, to various extents. They're just not on display as much because we're not the president of the United States. I, this, but it, it's, I guess it's, it's jumps like, with all due respect, the one that you, you just made where you say, well, I, I think he's incapable of showing affection because I, I haven't seen him holding his wife's hand. Okay, well, I, I don't I don't know what the nature of their relationship is and how you do this with the public displays of affection and people do that do that differently or to say, well, I, I don't see him showing affection towards his son. Well, okay, you, I, I don't know. We're not behind closed doors. Maybe he doesn't choose to do that publicly. Maybe his his image is, hey, when I'm when I'm in public, I am in public. I don't know about that stuff. I'm just saying that I think you have to be really – it's one thing to say I don't like the guy. It's another thing to say I don't like his style. I don't like the aggressive nature. I don't like the egotism. I don't like the bullying. Um, but not everybody who bullies someone is mentally ill. Not everybody who is a narcissist, narcissist is also a, a, a sociopath. And I guess that's that's where I – that's the issue. I mean, are we are we looking at traits that candidly have caused a lot of people to like him? I mean, you know, you get this. I mean, that's I think there's a lot of people out there who love the fact that he's always on the attack, who, you know, watched him on The Apprentice or The Celebrity Apprentice and love that kind of stuff. I didn't. I, I've never been a fan of his personality. But that to me is different than saying he, he's a sociopath. Let's talk to Amanda in Freeport. Hi, Amanda. Hi. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you, with your last comment you just made about, you know, people candidly loved those things about him. And, you know, I loved the fact that he wouldn't try to sugarcoat things and he liked to tell it like it is. However, I have seen now, you know, as a president, I think you need to rein that in a little bit. But I think his biggest problem is just, it's the difference between reacting to things and responding to things. And, uh, you know, there are people who can calmly respond to things and get their point across. And then there are others who will just immediately react, which is typically out of emotion, right. without you know reacting before they think about what right. they're or or to say. people who can let stuff go. I mean, that's one of the traits that I mean, I it just I don't get it, and it I admit it bothers me. Okay, somebody attacks you, who cares? Let it go. You won the election. Why spend a week arguing about how many people showed up at your inauguration versus how many showed up at President Obama's inauguration? Who cares? You know, you won. Move on. And it is that obsession that need to have. Have the last word that I that, that I think is annoying to a lot of people and I don't get but that doesn't necessarily mean it's mentally ill I know a lot of people who have to have the last word right and you know there that's why there are different personality types there's a type a and there's a type B that doesn't mean that either one is has any mental incapabilities yeah I guess I mean right thanks for call now again there's I think what you're seeing is I mean, I don't know that you throw around these terms personality disorders. Did Bill Clinton have a personality disorder? Well, well, probably because, uh, again, that that whole ri- there, you would think that before you would do something like that with Monica Lewinsky, that whole risk reward thing would be going off saying, OK, the possibility of this stuff breaking really, really badly 
versus whatever momentary gratification I'm going to get out of it, it it's not worth it. But again, he didn't have that trigger. But would I suggest that he is mentally ill? No, I, I wouldn't. And again, Richard Nixon is just the whole clinical thing of neuroses. It's a, I, so if you want to if you want to check out the book, it's called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Twenty seven psychiatrists saying he's um, he's unstable, and I, I hope they're wrong. I hope they're wrong. I think this is just, I hope it's just a personality that a lot of people find, again, to be off-putting as opposed to dangerous mental illness. But I think it's tough to judge somebody without examining them. It's 1126. It's 1134. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, this is an interesting situation that perhaps everybody can relate to. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't go into like places like Starbucks uh, a lot because like I just, I'm just too cheap. That That's it. But you know, you go into, I mean, that's just the honest answer. You know, I'm just, it's like, okay. It's not like I've never been in a Starbucks before, but it's like, eh, you know, I, if, if I want a cup of coffee, McDonald's coffee for a buck still, you know, beats $3 for the Starbucks black coffee. But regardless, you, you go into one of these places and you place your order and what they will typically do at the cashier is they will ask you your name. Um, and, and you give them your name. Now, um, one of the things I do do is there's a place down the street from us that I will stop at from time to time, and they, they make sandwiches for you. So what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll order my, my typical lunch, which is tuna salad on whole wheat toast. Uh, on whole wheat. You know, that's pretty simple. And then so they, they'll say, okay, well, what's your name? And I give them my name. But what happens sometimes is, depending on when I go in there, if the place isn't busy, when the sandwich is done, they don't say, Jeff, they just, they know that I'm the guy that ordered that, so they just give me the sandwich, okay? And I say, thank you, and I go out. All right, here's the story, and I'm, I'm curious as to your reaction to this, and with it, whether, if it happened to you, you would have complained. All right, here's the deal. Woman goes into uh, a place called... Tropical Smoothie Cafe, whatever that is, in Gainesville, Florida. I assume that they make tropical smoothies. She goes in. Her name is Cassandra Peoples. She goes in on Monday, and she orders something called a Detox Island Smoothie. Now, Scott Warris, who's now producing the show, I cannot see you, first of all, ever going into a, a sm- tropical smoothie cafe and then certainly not ordering a detox uh, a detox island smoothie, right? Nah, you wouldn't do it. Okay, but anyway, she does. <clears throat> okay, so they make the smoothie. They give her the smoothie along with her receipt. Uh, they give her a smoothie. First, they give her a receipt when she pays for it. Doesn't notice anything. Then um, they finish the smoothie. They give it to her. She goes out the door, she drinks the smoothie, everything's fine. Until she looks at the receipt that they have given her. And instead of her name, she says, you know, they asked you, what's your name? And she said, my name is Cassandra. Instead of Cassandra, at the top of the receipt, the cashier has typed in the phrase black chick. And she is apparently African American. So they've written black chick. That That's... That's it. So she looks at this, and she then, she says, 
when I saw Black Chick, where the name was supposed to be, I'm like, I know I told them Cassandra. So then she takes the matter to social media, where she posts a photo of the receipt on her Facebook page. A friend then reposts it to the Gainesville World of Mouth forum, where the post starts to catch uh, attention. She says she tried to call the corporate office after seeing her receipt, but only got through to voicemail. The general manager of the branch where the incident took place posted that she had fired the employee. And they say, this type of conduct clearly does not reflect the values of our brand or our commitment to creating a welcoming environment at each and every location. People says, herself says, well, I don't necessarily see this as racist, um, but she says, I think it's uncalled for. I've never experienced anything disrespectful like that before. I wouldn't say it's racist, but it, it's disrespectful. Um, I expect to be called by my birth name, not, not a black chick. All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there, there wasn't, I mean, sometimes you hear these stories and they've got racial slurs or something like that, that that's associated with it. And I, I'm, on, I'm honestly trying to personalize this. If I went into the, a, a store like this and I ordered the stuff and I got my stuff and I was walking out and I saw the receipt that said, old white guy in a hat, you know, or, or you know, middle-aged white guy, or that said white guy on it, or, or something like that, or if it said white chick on it, I, I don't, I forget, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that I would have been offended by it, I, I don't think I would have gone, I, I don't think I would have gone back and demanded an explanation. Now, there's certainly stuff that they could have put on that line that would have been, uh, offensive if they said fat chick um, or fat guy or whatever, but th- they put the phrase black chick on there, just like they could have put the phrase white chick, just like they could have put the phrase, you know, white guy or, or whatever. Okay, it, it, and, and the woman, for her part, says, okay, I don't, I'm not saying that this is racist. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking that it is disrespectful. Right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The woman, the whoever the person that did this, the cashier, they have now been fired for doing this. Is this, in your opinion, a fireable offense? Is this something that somebody should have been offended by? She apparently put it in there. I mean, my guess is they put it in there as a descriptive thing. Clearly, they should have. If she gave, if she did, in fact, give them her name they should have put cassandra that's what their business practice is but is this would you be offended again if you're in the situation and you see the receipt and it says white guy or you know black guy or white chick or black chick is is that something that you would be offended by enough to call back and complain 414-799-1620 I'm curious as to where you come down on this. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1141. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1144. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is story. Woman, African-American woman, goes into this tropical smoothie store. She orders her smoothie. When she gets the receipt back, it's got, it says, where it says, like, name. It, somebody has typed black chick in there. Um, as opposed to her name. She says she gave the name Cassandra, the person put in black chick. Um, she calls. She says, well, I, it's not it's not racist, but nevertheless, I, I think it is uncalled for. 
um, and unprofessional. Um, and, and I was very offended by this. And so the store has fired the cashier. My question is, okay, if this happened to you, would you be offended? Is this really racist? Now, she's not even saying she thinks it's racist. Stephen and Brown Deer. Stephen, you're first. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you think? You know, the, they were right for firing that girl because she could have gone that uh, a ton of different ways. She could have put the color of her shirt. Uh, she could have said um, black lady or, you know, African-American. I mean, and on top of that, she straight up came out and told her her name. So why would you not just put her name? Mm-hmm. To me, that seems like she was just trying to spark something. And, you know, that's on both sides of the fence. You know, in well, the that's what I was going to ask you. That was what I was going to so ask you. If, if instead of it saying, okay, well, let me ask you a couple. First of all, if she had put black lady instead of black chick, you don't think there would have been an issue? It's still offensive, in a sense. You know, in, in a time where everybody's so sensitive about everything, why didn't she just put her name? That's the no. bottom well, line. And, and I, think that's, I think that's a fair question. I guess I don't know the answer to that. If she had, yeah. put, if she had put white guy, if, it, if it's you, if it's me, and it says yeah. white guy, would I, have better, would I have a right to be offended? Or if it said that to you, would you be offended? You know, honestly, I could say I wouldn't be offended. Okay. But it's, you know... I just, you know, well, it's just a final thought I'd just like to say. It's like, you know, in the time of all this racial tension, let's stop with all the race stuff and let's just focus on humanity. People need to grow up. Well, yeah, I guess that's, and see, and I agree with you. This is, and this is, actually, this is the larger issue. That's why I bring this topic up, because I think there is real racism in this world. And that there are things that people do to other people that they deserve to be offended by. I guess I'm... And there are, I, I agree that if she gave him a name, you would think that you would put the name in there. I don't know why the cashier did that, but the, the phrase was black chick. If it was white chick, would that be offended? If it was Hispanic chick, if it was white guy with a hat, um, my, my guess is they put in a descriptive thing. They didn't, I, I think the way this worked out is she must have been, they knew who she was or they were able to identify it from this phrase because they didn't call out her name. They just gave her they gave her the smoothie when it was done. All right, would, would should the cashier have lost their lost their job for it? See, this is one where I think what would have happened is I, if I were the company, first I would have apologized to the woman. I said, "Look, I'm sorry if you're offended by this." I would have talked to the cashier, and unless it was clearly an effort to, I don't know, tr- unless you became convinced that it was clearly an effort to try to, you know, I don't know, demean this woman as opposed to just a descriptive thing, then I think I would have told them not to do it, but I don't necessarily think I would have fired them. Let's talk to John in Muskego. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I've worked in the service industry, and I will say I've done a similar thing. Um, When you have a lot of customers, and I don't know the situation with this cashier, but sometimes you put a name, am I going to be able to, 20 minutes later when someone's food come out, relate to who that person's name is in a bar full of people okay so you would use you'd use a describer so you know okay if she's the only african-american woman in the place at the time you know that that that, that's you put black chick in there or black lady or black woman and then you know that that's her thing her her one And and i'll sometimes even say black lady red top you know because that'll describe who that person is it also helps if someone else is bringing out the food they know who it goes to because in a bar situation, people mingle around tables. Um, right. So for me, I've done it in the past. And, you know, it's not a racial thing. It's just a way of identifying the person. Right. Um, if you, 
do you think that if instead of using the phrase chick, it said like black lady or black woman, this would have been this would have been less objectionable? Um, I think that the term chick could have had an objectionable thing, and that would be whether the person's white or black. Right. That sometimes, you know, people take offense by different things. And some people, to be called a chick, that might be something that they would take offense to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the same thing, too. You know, with, as the caller before had said, you know, someone using the term black, even, some people would take offense of that, that, you know, hey, I'm being labeled as I'm black. I wouldn't think that that's the intention of the person. They're using it more as an identifier. Um, but you know, you don't know what the right. deal with that person right. was. I but, but, but what you're saying is that there, right you're away. saying is that there's legitimate reasons to use this as an identifier. Um, and again, I don't. I mean, I'm assuming most of the times I go to places like this, you know, they just call your name. But you're saying that th- this might have just been an identifier, so they knew, hey, this is what her drink is. Here, we'll give her a drink. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I get it. No, thanks for calling. I think that's a that's an interesting factor. Okay. Um, Dana writes, guy with a hat is descriptive. Calling an adult a chick is disrespectful, no matter what race comes before it. Fired, maybe not, but it is a rude thing to write when you had her name available. Huh. I guess that's an interesting question. If you would put, see, I don't know that this would have played out any differently, though. I don't get the sense that the woman was offended by being called a chick. Now, I, I don't know. But, I mean, I don't know if they'd put white guy or black guy or black woman or black lady. Would that have been I, – I, see, I don't know that that would have changed the dynamic. Uh, the lady doesn't say – I mean, she doesn't even allege that it's necessarily racist. Uh, I guess I, – I just kind of wonder whether we are too sensitive to things in today's society. And I mean, they, okay, they fired the cashier. I mean, really? I, and was it – I, unless you were really convinced that the guy was trying to be rude, and, and and they didn't call it out. I mean, I think they were using it as an identifier. But this idea, I mean, of course, the reaction of, of the restaurant is that, you know, we want a welcoming environment at each and every location, and this does not satisfy the values of our brands. Well, okay, the, the I don't know if it was a guy or a gal that was the cashier. And by the way, a couple of you make the point on our our on our um, text feeds that I don't know whether the person be, I am assuming that the cashier, I'm assuming the person that did this was white, but I, I don't know that for sure. But if it was somebody who was something other than white, I think the story would have had that in there, but I don't know for sure. But I guess I, I just wonder if we're becoming too sensitive. Should they have put her name there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should the person have lost their job for this? Um, that's a completely different story as well. Let's take a quick break. It's 11.52. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 11.55. This is Jeff Wagner. One final comment I want to make before I turn the show over to Steve Scafidi. Um, the, the, the mayor's new budget announces we're uh, getting rid of 30-some police positions and 75 fire positions. I thought it was really interesting. We had the fire chief on our air the, earlier today saying that the, the 75 positions aren't going to be missed. These 75 positions, there's already a lot of vacancies, and then there's going to be attrition, and the response times aren't going to go down. They're, they're essentially saying they're not going to be missed. This isn't a big deal, which raises the question, okay, if you can get rid of or not fill 75 positions, doesn't that mean we didn't need them in the first place? 
I mean, if, if and that's what he's essentially saying. You listen to this guy's comments. He's saying this isn't going to be a big deal. It's, it's not a problem. You know, response times aren't going to get worse. We can decommission these fire trucks. Well, if that is the case, isn't that prima facie evidence? And I'm not taking one position or another, but isn't that the fire chief essentially saying if we can get away, do away with 75 positions and it's not a big deal, That doesn't that tell you that you didn't need them in the first place? And here is my question in larger form. All right, how many other departments in the city of Milwaukee are like that. How many people have like vacancies that you don't need or dead wood or positions that can be done away with without any problem at all? If there's 75 in the fire department, my guess is there's hundreds and hundreds throughout the rest of the city government. And shouldn't we be getting rid of those spots to save money before we start cutting the police? 